Welcome to Questions of Life. I'm Kath. I'm here with Donald. Hello. Today we are in conversation about Christianity and science. Are the two compatible? Enjoy our discussions. Now tonight we are looking at answering the question, can I believe in God and science? For many people this is a real issue. They think that if you believe in the Bible, actually you're not very scientific, you're not very intelligent, you have to only have one or the other. So we're going to be exploring that tonight. We'll look a bit at evolution. We'll look at who and how our world was created. We'll look at lots of different things around that. Did God create the world in seven days? Is that possible? Is that compatible with science? So Donald, God and science. For many people, I think for many hundreds of years, there have been discussions about this. And the more that we've understood science, the more that we've made advances in technology and in understanding, there's been this perception by some people that actually science and Christianity is incompatible. There's a very famous professor, he's called uh, Peter Atkins, and he said science is almost totally incompatible with religion. So there is this, this perception out there that if you're a scientist, you can't be a Christian. You can't believe in the Bible because the two are just so radically different. They don't tell the same story. So I've done a little bit of research as to what the people in the UK think about science and about religion and evolution and those kind of things. Okay, So people were asked about their attitudes to science and religion in general. Okay, And... Uh, 47% of people said, and I can't read it very well because I don't have my glasses, <laughs> science challenges religious beliefs, but they can coexist. So there is a challenge, but they can coexist together. 26% of people say science neither supports nor undermines a religious belief. 12% of people say science positively supports religious belief. Now, this next one was interesting. So they wanted to know people's attitudes, again, to science and religion. And they were given a, a statement, and they had to answer whether they strongly agreed, agreed, neither agreed nor disagreed, disagreed, strongly disagreed. So the phrase that they were set, given first, I think science and religion have nothing to do with each other. So 14% strongly agreed, 29% agreed, and 32% neither agreed nor disagreed. They then asked them to do the same rating on another question. I think science and religion are incompatible. So again, we had 10% 10, 10 strongly agreed, 17% just agreed, and 54% neither agreed nor disagreed. Now, this is the interesting one. The statement is, many people in this country think that science and religion are incompatible. So it's not what they believe, it's what they believe that the rest of the country believes, okay? 9% strongly agreed, but 41% agreed. So there is this perception that there are more people that think it's an issue out there than for that which it actually is. It's one of those things that many people think, well, you can't be a Christian because of this. So what we want to begin with then, I think, is... Can you define for us the difference between Christianity and science? And I know that may sound really stupid, but I think it's an important starting place because we're not looking at the same thing when we're discussing a faith and we're discussing science. We need to be clear on that. The two are doing very different things in our world today. So what's Christianity and what is science? 
Okay, so I, I think, first off, I would say, I would be in that 12% that say, I think science helps Christianity. Okay. I think it enhances it. Yeah. But I'm not a scientist. Okay. Uh, but I do have a, a moderate of understanding of Christianity. So yes. that's the angle I'm coming at. Yep. So as I understand science, uh, there are two elements. Well, no, no, before I come to that, let me just say this, that this debate is a very recent one in the history of mankind, that science originally came out of Christianity. Yeah. And that the early scientists, Newton and all of that, were, were strong Christians because they believed that God had made an ordered world. And mm -hmm. they believed that part of their uh, worship was to understand what God was doing. So science began in the church, let's say that very yeah. clearly. And the whole idea that the world is ordered and predictable came out of the Christian understanding. So science, to me, is about working out what is predictable, what is ordered, what the facts of what happens, and creating theories that then allow us to say, because we see this happen all the time, this is what we think the reason why we think it's doing. But essentially, it's around the question of how. Mm -hmm. And even that, in a sense, isn't the greatest question, because sometimes we, we keep going, but how, but how, but how, and you get to a point where you ultimately say, we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, Christianity is not really interested in how. Mm -hmm. It's interested in who, mm -hmm. and it's interested in why. Mm -hmm. So... Christianity is about saying God made the world and he wants to be in relationship with us. He's come to earth to, to draw us to himself. And that's what really matters. Science is about telling us uh, the, you know, how we can fix vaccines, how we can mm -hmm. use rules that we see in creation and how we can learn from that. And say, because that happens, we can do this. Mm. So it's a, a, I guess it's a bit like saying, with an engine, science is like the, the mechanic. It's trying to work out how the engine works so that it, it can fix things. Mm -hmm. Whereas Christianity is much more interested in the driver. Where's this engine going? Who's driving it and why? Mm. So they are uh, comparable. Mm -hmm. So the, the, not comparable, compatible. So mm -hmm. one of the things I like to do, and I think I did this in Questions of Life before, the best way for me of trying to understand it is that if I take my keys yep. and uh, I drop them, and you say to me, why have the keys dropped? Yep. Everybody could say the keys have dropped because Donald has dropped them. Mm -hmm. I have caused them to drop. Mm -hmm. I am making them drop. Mm -hmm. And that's true. That's mm. absolutely true. However, it could be that we come, uh, somebody comes along and says, well, wait a minute. The reason the keys are dropping is to do with gravity. And they will always drop because mm. we can work out an observable thing. We can create mm. a theory. We can create some facts that keys will always drop mm. when left alone. We can actually work out the speed they're going to drop. We can work out how long it's going to take them to drop. It's to do with the weight. It's to do with gravity. We can work all of that out. And we can therefore say the reason the keys are dropping is because of gravity. Yeah. Now, both of those things are true. But you can't say, I don't exist. Mm. because gravity does. Mm. And it, that's the mistake that's sometimes made 
that the sort of new atheism, the sort of more militant atheism is saying, okay, because gravity, we've proved and discovered and can explain gravity, therefore Donald doesn't exist. Well, that's clearly rubbish. Mm -hmm. Equally, I would be incredibly insecure if I said, actually, gravity doesn't exist. It's me forcing these to the ground <laughs> by my willpower. <laughs> And so there's no need for me to say that. Gravity mm. doesn't threaten me, doesn't threaten my existence. So when science tells us how things are happening, yeah. it isn't disproving the cause of it. And that's the key thing. It isn't disproving. Even if we go with gravity, I don't fully understand. And I don't think we really understand how gravity works. It's to do with the spinning of planets and it's to do with the force that the moon has on the Earth and all of that and the speed of but why, but why, but why? And if you keep going back, you go, because mm -hmm. there's something incredible going on. Mm -hmm. So it's important to say they're answering two different mm -hmm. questions. The problem arises with how you understand this, the story of the, the world being made in seven days, which we'll come to in a few moments, and what that language means. And that's where people get anxious about it. Some people might say that you had a lot of people hundreds and hundreds of years ago that were Christians um, and, and they believed all that you're saying because they didn't have the advances in technology that we have today. Uh, whereas if they were around today, would they still have that same understanding and those same beliefs? Uh, we've had a message in from Dave Coles. Uh, good evening, Dave. He said, my son-in-law went to Oxford University he shared a flat with two other guys. All three are Christians, and all three got a first in physics. So again, that didn't detract from no. their faith. It wasn't that, oh, we can't look at physics or anything like that because we're Christians. Actually, it complemented it in, in many, many ways. I think the more you study the incredible complexity of the universe, the more you, you, can't, you feel it sense of awe and wonder and worship of God. Okay, so that, that brings me on to another message that we've had. Uh, again, do keep coming with your messages. It's fantastic. Kath Bogle, good evening, Kath. She says, ask Donald about the woodpecker's brain story. <laughs> so that fits in That's with the, the created order of yeah, the world. Yeah. So tell us about the woodpecker's brain. And I'll okay, well, let tea. me just... So let's just... Uh, define evolution for a moment okay, as I understand that. it. And yep. you, please understand I'm not a scientist so apologies if I'm a bit <laughs> inaccurate in the detail of what I'm talking about but essentially yeah what we call the theory of evolution uh, my understanding there are two elements to it that are sometimes seen as one but I think we need to separate them out so the first element of, of evolution is the factual evidence that there is a relationship between species, mm -hmm. that the history of fossils and relics would suggest that some species were around and then those species stopped and other species that looked like them but were slightly different occurred. So there appears to be a journey in species that through the dating of uh, carbon dating, the dating of, of the layers of things that we dig up and all of that, which far more intelligent people than me can explain, we're able to work out the sort of time scale of the development of species, that all the species that we have today are not all the species that have always existed, yep. and that you can see 
a, 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 a timeline, a map that mm -hmm. goes through. And that, 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 if you like, is what I would call the science or the facts of evolution. Mm -hmm. The philosophy of evolution is that that is accidental or random or caused by the survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. That there were just unexplained mutations in animals that then lasted because they were more effective. Now, that was what I was taught as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was taught that as a fact, but that's actually a theory. That's actually a faith statement. There's no evidence mm -hmm. that these, these changes happened accidentally. Mm -hmm. And as I understand more, uh, more what science is saying now is that, that people don't believe it, the survival of the fittest. There's a lot of yeah. questioning of that theory. Mm -hmm. So people like me, we're way behind the times of what we were taught because it, it, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't seem to work that it was accidental. So now, if you watch David Attenborough's programs, you will get him saying things like, this animal needed to do this. So the zebra needed to be camouflaged, so it developed stripes. Mm -hmm. Which to me is a bigger faith statement than saying God gave the, the zebra stripes. Yep. <laughs> because I could quite do with having wings, but I've never been able to make myself have them. Need a Red Bull. Maybe. <laughs> um, so the woodpecker, for me, is my favourite example, and I do talk a lot about Go the woodpecker. So the woodpecker, as most of us all know, is a bird that we're all familiar with, and the woodpecker hits its head against a tree in order to get, make holes to get at the grubs that are in the tree to eat them. No other animal does that. No. No other animal bangs its head. They reckon it bangs its head at, at approximately 30 miles an hour, about 20 times a second, uh, it would be equivalent of you stopping a car that's going 30 miles an hour with your head <laughs> and just putting your head down and stopping the car or you hitting a wall. At, uh, uh, and to do that 20 times a second, every single species in the universe other than a woodpecker would die of brain damage mm -hmm. within a second or two. Mm -hmm. Now, they've, science is brilliant because they try to work out why does the woodpecker not die. Mm -hmm. And the reason is a combination of two things. Firstly, its uh, skull is made of a bone that's a bit like a wishbone. And the skull hangs in the middle of it. And the wishbone is like suspension on a, on a car. Or like, you know, those, the Queen's horse and carriage. The way that it, it looks like that. So it suspends. So the brain isn't banging up and down. Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of gently oscillating. So it's not hitting the edge of the skull like mm -hmm. our brains would. Because the reason yeah. we get brain damage is our brains hit our skulls. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, around the woodpecker's brain is this spongy uh, stuff. Oh, that's not. That's a bit too technical. Can you dumb yeah. it down? For it's me? got a name. <laughs> it's got a name that no other animal has to that degree, mm. and so it's like it's surrounded in cotton wool. So the woodpecker does not um, get brain damage. Mm. So for me, this is this is where science complements Christianity, but where Christianity. Uh, makes fun, really, mm. of, the fear of the philosophy of evolution. Because the idea that at some point a woodpecker was born randomly by some un 
curious mutation that its skull was developed in a different way and at the same time it had developed this sponge and at the same time knew that the consequence of that was that it could now bang its head against the tree <laughs> and at that point thought, oh, that's so I can eat the grubs. All of that is far-fetched to me. Mm -hmm. Equally, it's far-fetched to me to think that there was a bird that was thinking, I'd really like to eat the grubs that are inside that tree, but I don't have a power drill. Mm -hmm. What can I do? I know, mm -hmm. I'll keep banging my head until mm -hmm. I learn how to not die. Mm -hmm. And that generations of woodpeckers, who were presumably weren't called woodpeckers, generations of sparrows or whatever they are, <laughs> were doing this and dying. Mm -hmm. now, all of that requires to me a huge amount of faith. It's much easier to say, you know, God took whatever bird is closest and he said, I've got a special one for this. Mm. I'm going to adapt. Mm. And what we know in evolution is what they call the, the, the gaps or the jumps, that there are lots and lots of mm. things like that, mm. far more significant ones, like wings, like yep. flying, like massive one is like lungs moving from gills underwater to lungs mm -hmm. on Earth, massive jumps mm. that science can say there was a jump. It can tell you when it happened. Yep. It can tell you how remarkable that jump mm -hmm. is, but it can't tell you who or how or why. Mm. And the idea that it just happened, that it just random, is a, is a faith statement. Mm. But I find it much easier to say it's designed. Mm. And so one of the oldest ways that Christianity has explained this for, for a couple of hundred years, going way back to Darwin's time, and you're just you know, looking at your watch and the ideas of the watchmakers, that if you went into space and you saw a watch coming towards you, you would know that there was some other uh, being capable of making the watch. It would never occur to you that that watch had accidentally, randomly, spontaneously arrived. And if a watch, which is relatively simple, we know cannot happen, there's no way you can throw all the ingredients of a watch into the air and shake it, and at some point it will create a watch. Mm. The hum humanity and the universe is far more complex. Mm. Um, and, you know, they've likened it to, to, to our existence being like a, a hurricane hitting a, 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 a scrapyard and producing a working jumbo 4747, which is impossible. Yeah, we'd laugh at that. Yeah. So, to me, evolution is, is highlighting what God has done. Okay, I've had a, um, a question in that I'm going to throw in at this point, and we're going to uh, come back to evolution in a second, because you've talked a lot about uh, faith, and you've talked about God the creator, and God being able to do all of these wonderful things. Uh, and we've had um, a question, and it says, how do you keep faith after numerous failed cycles of IVF treatment? How do I know when to stop? Um, I don't think... I mean, that's immensely painful. Yes, absolutely. Immensely painful for someone, and I don't think any of us can tell somebody when to stop. Mm. Uh, that's a, a decision that that you come to. And we've journeyed with lots of people through that very, very painful time. And some people have had children after several attempts. 
Some people have not had children, mm. some people have adopted, some people have not adopted. Mm. Mm. I think it's a very, very difficult, painful thing. And, and, I, and I, I, I really feel for the person who's asking that question. So I, I don't know how, I can't say when to stop. I think, how do you keep faith? Again, I have the privilege of walking alongside people with all kinds of immensely painful situations, of which I, I, being unable to have children mm -hmm. is, one, is one of the worst. Mm -hmm. Losing a child, watching someone you love deteriorate with dementia, um, a sudden accident. Uh, and I often find myself thinking, well, how do these people keep faith? How do mm -hmm. they keep going? I think my observation would be that very often they don't know the answer to that either. But somehow God has held them through it and they look back and say, I've come... I'm coming through this and, and God is still with me. Somehow it's to do with trying not to be consumed with anger or bitterness, but to try to, as I observe these folks mm. and the way they do it, I observe that they're, they, they're honest with God about their grief, they're honest with God mm. about their pain, they, they articulate that, they don't bottle it, they express mm. it, and we've talked about that before. Mm. But they do try to not be defined by it mm -hmm. and not allow it to create a harshness of spirit. Mm. But as I observe them, I think that's not even often within their control. It's maybe, maybe it's their prayer, Lord, help me cope with this. And I mm -hmm. guess at the end of the day, that's our prayer is, Lord, we don't have the strength. We're at the end of our strength. Mm -hmm. we're, we're weak and broken. Lord, will you help us? Mm -hmm. um, I think it highlights that we don't have all the answers mm -hmm. as a human race. Yeah. And we want all the answers. We want to know the answer to the why and the what and the everything else. And in this whole discussion with science and Christianity, it comes back to that point that we are a human race that wants to know. Yeah. There's, we've been created with a, with a thirst for knowledge and a thirst to understand the inner workings. And so in this situation, it's completely understandable for people to be questioning God. Where are you? What are you doing? Do you have a plan in this? All of those things are perfectly natural and normal but it's also trying not to lose sight of holding on to God mm. and mm. not rejecting him and not giving up on him, but saying, okay, together we're going to put one foot in front of the other and God, you're going to have to help me because I can't do it. And we're going to have to just mm. walk and walk the path. And we don't know where mm. that path leads. And again, as a human race, we want to know. We want to plan our lives. We want the answers. What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen next year? And it's hard and mm. it's difficult when there's something that you want, that you desperately want and everybody else around you has and you think, I'm the odd one out, people are staring, they're asking questions. The only thing we can say is just retreat into God. Mm. God is close mm. to the brokenhearted. God is the one that will hold you, mm. that will help you. We can't guarantee that God gives us everything that we want, 
but he does meet us in those horrifically painful and difficult places. So I hope that's helped. Absolutely, I think that's really helpful. I just, tying it back into the science, I think it's, it's one of the things that's tangential to this is just being very comfortable that God uses science. And sometimes we talked a little bit about on the healing thing before. Sometimes when people would say, well, if you trust in God, you don't need the intervention of these things. And actually God uses everything. Absolutely. And, and, and it, there is a time when we may say, I've come to the end of my treatment. But there is also a time to say, God, can you use this? Yeah. I mean, I look at the vaccine. Um, I'm getting onto dodgy ground here. I see that as an answer to prayer. Absolutely. I see that God working miraculously through yeah. people that are incredibly gifted. Some know him, some don't know him. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for God and for them together. Absolutely. And this is where the, the basis of science comes in, that, that Christians said, God has made a world that we can understand yeah. and use that knowledge to, to improve life. Yeah. And that has been at the root and foundation of, of science, and it's mm -hmm. a very godly thing. You know, God didn't create the universe to have all these predictable things like gravity, like all the mm -hmm. laws of science. He didn't do that if we were just supposed to just sit there and observe. Yeah. I believe he gave us the brains to say, okay, I can harness electricity. Mm -hmm. I can harness uh, energy in different ways. I can mm -hmm. make things happen. We're talking to you through incredible yeah. technology that I am yeah. for a moment understand, <laughs> but God has done it. Mm -hmm. God has given a system that is discoverable and mm -hmm. a system that allows uh, clever people like Joel up mm -hmm. there to be broadcasting through mm -hmm. this crazy thing here <laughs> and making a difference in people's yeah. lives at this time. And, yeah. and to say that science is bad would, is crazy because we're, look, we're sitting here enjoying the benefits of what science have worked out because all they're doing is saying, is it, it's a bit like to me, and I love my Meccano, <laughs> it's a bit like saying, God's saying, I've given you something that you can make, yep. make it. Yep. And God has given us a whole load of pieces mm. of nature that fit together and that mm. do things. And he's saying, go on and make it, yep. make what you, you can do with it. Yep. You know, make radio waves, make mm. sound microphones, whatever it is, mm. vaccines, IVF, mm. do it because I've given you the kit. Yep. Yep. Steve Evans has sent us a message in. Evening, Steve, hope your new job's going well. He says the woodpecker's tongue is three times longer than its beak and wraps around the skull uh, to protect it. It's called the hyoid apparatus. There you go. Steve Evans. I would never have guessed that of you. It's amazing what you can find on Google, Steve, isn't it, mate? But thank you. Do you Imagine if my in? tongue was three times longer than my nose and wrapped around my brain. Moving on. <laughs> That's a thought. <laughs> <laughs> so, so evolution yeah scientists would tell us that our world uh came into being 4.6 billion years ago and then as you say there were a series of stages of of things that occurred at uh, the last notable one of which was the human race but before that lots of other things occurred so that's pretty much the held view of science that our world has evolved over a long period of time now, this is where the interesting bit comes, because for a lot of people that don't have a faith, they look at that, and even some that have a faith, and they would say, okay, the scientific evidence is telling me this, but I have a Bible. And in the Bible, if I go to the first two chapters of Genesis, there is a story that talks about God and how God created the world. And it would appear to suggest that God created our world in its entirety, 
including the human race, in seven 24-hour period days. And I think that's where one of the biggest issues comes in all of this. Begin to talk to us about that and the passage in Genesis. Firstly, what is the point of the passage in Genesis? Well, Genesis think, being the first book in the Bible. Yes, so, so I think... I think I want to say that Christians do take different points of view. Yep. And I've discovered that there's tremendous feeling on either side and tremendous um, sometimes pain. And I want those who are watching this who are Christians to try and understand how other people see things. Uh, When we understand the Bible, we, we fundamentally have to ask a question, which is, what, did, what is the writer trying to tell us? Now, actually, interpreting the first two books of the Bible is very easy because the Bible repeats itself. This passage repeats itself a lot. And one of the golden rules is when the writer repeats himself, he's trying to tell us something. Uh, the way the, the first description of the making of the world is it says and God did this and God said this and it was so and God and God and God and God and I think it's, it's remarkable in that he I think only on one occasion does he say he it's always God and God and God and it's laboring and if when I was a kid learning to write we were told not to write like that if you say, and Kath said this, and Kath said that, and Kath did this, and Kath did this, and Kath did this, they would say, at some point, use another word other yeah, than Kath. Yeah, we know. <laughs> so the writer is very deliberately telling us who made the world. He um, says, and God created 28 times in just that first yeah, chapter alone. Yeah, yeah. It's abundantly clear what the writer is trying to tell us. He's trying to tell us who. Mm. So that's the first really important thing mm. to say. The second thing is that in language, we use lots of ways of speaking. And the Bible picks that up because there are different ways of speaking are really helpful. So, for example, there are a number of verses that describe God as the rock mm -hmm. or my rock. Mm -hmm. I have a rock here. Mm -hmm. No Christian believes that this is God. No be a bit dull if it was, wouldn't it? Sorry, and no God. Christian believes it's, that it's just that we haven't found the right rock. Yeah. No Christian believes that God is made of granite mm -hmm. or sandstone or flint or whatever it is. No Christian believes that God has the texture of a rock mm -hmm. or the weight of a rock. Mm -hmm. What the Bible is doing is using a metaphor the metaphor is that God is indestructible. They would build in a culture of sand and rock. The difference between sand and rock is very important. You built on a rock because it would withstand the storms, the winds. You wouldn't build a house on the sand because the wind would blow down. But Jesus tells that story. There's a song about it you could maybe sing. I could maybe sing it, but we won't. <laughs> so to the readers, mm. they understood that rock meant what you built your life on, mm. meant he was dependable, unshakable, mm. unmovable. Mm. So when they say, God is my rock, that's what they mean. Yeah. Now that's not an isolated occasion. There are probably a 
you could find probably a hundred different metaphors. Jesus uses them all the time. He says, I am the bread of life. Mm. He says, I am the vine. Mm. He says, I am the gate. Mm. He says, I am the shepherd. Uh, he, he uses again and again a picture to bring a truth. Now, nobody would say when Jesus says, uh, I'm the bread of life, nobody would say he was a liar. Mm. Neither would anybody say he's made of yeast <laughs> or that he needed to be baked in an oven or that potentially he would go off after a few days <laughs> because that's not what he meant. Mm. What he meant was a metaphor. So we, there, are the, there are those who say the Bible is literally true. And we know in all cultures now, whenever you say something is literally true, you, you don't know, it's not. What you mean is, well, I don't know what you mean, because literally <laughs> nothing is literally true, is it? No. So there are lots of times in the Bible where it is metaphorically true. It is true that God is a rock. Mm. He is dependable. He is unshakable. He is someone I can build my life on, but he is not literally a rock. Mm. So we begin to say comfortably that there are parts of the Bible that are not literally true. Mm. The second thing that happens, and it happens in the New Testament with Jesus, is the writers say Jesus told them a story. Mm. Now we translate that word as the word parable because what that word means is a story with a meaning. Mm. But again and again, Jesus, it says he spoke in parables. One of the most famous ones would be what we call the Good Samaritan. He says, a man was walking from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. Now, it tells us, it's a story. It tells us that actually Jesus was making that up to teach us a point. The point was that who we think of as our, our enemy is actually the person we need to love and mm -hmm. care for because the Samaritans and the listeners of the story were enemies, mm. racially enemies. And he is saying, this, this Samaritan is the good guy. Mm. So you need to love. He was asked the question, who should I love? Who is my neighbor? And he tells them a story. Mm. So we know that the Bible tells us some stories to teach a truth. Mm. Now, is the good Samaritan truth? Yes, it is. It's absolutely truth. Is it a historical event? No. It's a story that was told with a meaning. Cultures have always understood that. We do that. We have fables. We have all kinds of stories in our own culture. It's the way language works. We, we do that. Then people get worried and they say, OK, well, how do I know the difference between a story and a, an and event? Now, normally the Bible will put an event by giving it a year. It will say, this happened at this, in the reign of this king at this point. There are other clues in the language, the way something is described. Sometimes it will say, this person was the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so who lived there. Mm -hmm. it, it pointers it. Mm -hmm. Whereas a man walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, we don't know when, <laughs> we don't know his name. Yeah. It's not trying to tell us it was a real person. Mm. So the big question then is, is the account of waking the world in 168 hours, did they mean 168 hours? Mm -hmm. Or were they telling us a parable to tell us that God made the world and maybe to tell us some other things in the parable? Now, 
I don't want people to feel, as a Christian, you can't believe God made the world in 168 hours. I don't think you have to... I don't think it's an either or. But I do want those who feel that the world was made in 168 hours to understand that it is possible, as a Christian, to believe in the Bible in exactly the same way, its power and its authority, but to believe that 168 hours is not literal, but is a metaphor. Now, I lean to that position, but I'm quite happy if I get to heaven and God says, no, I did do it in 168 hours. I don't think that's going to change my relationship with God. I think what he'll say of both camps is, do you know who did it? Mm. I think he will probably say to some elements of the church, will you stop arguing about how long it took me mm. and start praising me for what I did? Mm. But that's the side. Mm. The reason I lean to it being a story is that there are two things that are story-like, non-literal. The first one is this. It tells us on the seventh day that God rested. Mm -hmm. Now, we know throughout the Bible that the theology of the understanding of God is that he doesn't have a day off. He mm -hmm. doesn't stop work. It's not that you can't pray mm -hmm. on Saturday or between one and three on any given day <laughs> because God is out. <laughs> yep. The rest of the Bible teaches us that God sustains the universe, that, that he actively is breathing life into it, mm -hmm. that he is alongside and there for all of us. So when the writer said God rested, he's doing what we call anthropomorphism. He's giving a human characteristic mm -hmm. to God to teach us a, a, an important point. Now, the important point is that we should rest. Mm -hmm. And on the seventh day, we should have a day off. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That that's really, really mm -hmm. important. That it is not right to work seven days on a trot. Mm -hmm. So because Genesis is using already language that everybody at the time would understand was a metaphor, mm -hmm. it makes me think that the day thing may well have been a metaphor, particularly because the day thing points to the same teaching, which is six days you work mm -hmm. and one day you rest. Mm -hmm. But the second part of it, which makes it more likely for me, is that we know that the sun was created on the third day. We also know that the way you define a day is it's the point at which the sun gets back to the place where it was that time before, yesterday. That's mm -hmm. a day. A day is it's midday to midday, it's midnight to midnight, it's dawn to dawn, it's dusk to dusk. Whatever mm -hmm. it is, it's the 24 hours that it takes the sun to go around mm -hmm. and be back where it was in the sky from when you started. Mm -hmm. The writer would know that. The mm -hmm. writer understands that that is why mm -hmm. he uses the language day. Yep. But in the story, the, the sun is made on the third day. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that the... Mm -hmm. the um, the order of things is pretty similar to science. It is a pretty similar order. Mm -hmm. And some people say, well, elsewhere it says in the Bible, a day is like a thousand years to God and that time doesn't really matter. And I, I think that's probably true. But I think more importantly, I think it is probably a story to tell us two th three things. It tells us, firstly, that God did it. It's not an accident. It's not random. We have not spontaneously appeared on earth and God said, whoa, Human beings, what should I do mm -hmm. with them? Mm -hmm. We're planned, purpose, designed, created. 
The second thing is the thing that's repeated again and again in that story, mm. and it was good, and mm. it was good, and it was good. Mm. That God made the world good, mm. and that he's given it to mankind to, that we need to make sure it continues to be good, mm. but it is not bad. Mm. And that's an, that was an important challenge to some of the other religions of the day. Mm. And the third thing is there is a natural way of living, and it is six days of work and one mm. day of rest. And mm. that it needs to be built into all of humanity. Mm. I think that's what we must hold on to. I think it's what we must take hold of. Uh, and whether it's 168 hours or 4 billion years or whatever it is, I don't think really matters. Mm. I think picking up on your, I think it isn't factual, it's telling us a story. If you look at what God did on day six, you think that is impossible for all these things to happen. So he creates the various living creatures along with wild animals uh, and domesticated. He creates Adam in his image. He gives Adam a mandate of dominion over creation. He makes the plants available as food. He plants a garden and puts man in it. Um, he commissions Adam to cultivate the garden. He commissions Adam to name or classify the animals. He declares his need for a helper. He induces sleep, performs surgery on Adam, God creates Eve. God ordains that Adam and Eve enter into a divinely constituted marriage relationship. There's a lot of things to happen in a 24-hour period. All good things, you know, they're all great. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. That's a lot to get done in a day. That's quite a big tick list, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Another school of thought would say that, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but they would take the, um, the Hebrew words that it was originally, that passage was originally written in. And they would take the word day. And the word day comes from the Hebrew word yom. So we get yom kippur, uh, the Jewish celebration many of us have heard of. But the word yom has two different meanings. It has a 24-hour period or it has an indefinite period of time. So in a sense, in their tradition, that word was interchangeable and so mm. for some that for them is okay it's okay I can believe either way it doesn't matter as long as we get back to this is what the passage is talking about it's talking about in the beginning that's what it starts with doesn't it in the beginning God, God. created absolutely um, so that brings me on to my next point so it starts off in the beginning God created uh, another area of science that is um, very popular at the moment is to how our world got here so there's this whole idea of the Big Bang, that, that basically there was a random explosion uh, of atoms. Out of that explosion, our world evolved into being. And for some, they would say, well, now we have this idea as to how we got here. We don't actually need to believe the creation narrative. We don't need to believe that it was God because of the Big Bang. What would you say into that? Bearing in mind, the Bible says, in the beginning... God created. So I think, we again, we separate out the, the philosophy yeah. with the science. So the science would appear to be, which I'm no reason to dispute, I'm quite happy to accept, that the universe is expanding, yeah. and if it's expanding, it must have started in a point. Yes. And I accept that. That's absolutely fine. The problem is saying that that was random yeah. and accidental. Yeah. And I think that's far-fetched mm -hmm. because... Of the, 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 so all the, the things that mean that humanity exists, the fact that we're on a planet that happens to be quite precisely the right distance from the sun, that a, that a few relatively 
a few thousand miles either way and we'd fry or freeze. We'd be in trouble, yeah. That we are spinning at just the right speed, mm. that we stay rooted on the planet without falling off, mm. that the the seasons happen at the right time for things that to create water, that is all of the things. It mm. goes back to this uh, they they calculated that the chances of all of these things happening is uh, the same probability as as, as uh, it's one to the power of 40 million, which is, if you think that winning the lottery <laughs> is one to the power of 14, 14, one to the power of 40 million, mm -hmm. or 40,000, I guess, beg your pardon, 40,000, it's a huge, it's, mm -hmm. it's impossible. Mm -hmm. Added to that, science is based on what is repeatable. Mm -hmm. In other words, you set up an experiment and you say, if I found this law, then it's going to happen again. It, yeah. Gravity is, is based... If, if gravity exists, then 100% of the time, next I drop these keys, it will fall. Yeah. We've never had a universe spontaneously blow up before or since. If it was a thing... That we know of. That, well, but we'd... <laughs> <laughs> it's just... How did it happen? Yep. And at the end of the day, how did the keys get up here to drop? Mm -hmm. What brought all of those things mm -hmm. together? So I don't mind that God, if my God made it all in an explosion. That's, mm -hmm. that's absolutely fine to me. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But he did it. Mm -hmm. And he had designed and planned that all the ingredients were there, that it wouldn't it might look like an explosion, but actually it was baking a huge cake mm -hmm. that he knew what he was doing. Um, and I think many scientists are quite are near to that point, and they would say that, and we talked about Dave Cole's son-in-law. When you, the more you look into it, you go, mm. how has that happened? Mm. How has that happened? You see more structure, you yeah. see more order, yeah. more precision. Yeah. Everything seems to be designed it's yeah. not chaotic yeah and yeah. so we go back to this thought that in the beginning was god the designer yeah what do we think of in uh genesis when it talks about god created it talks about him speaking yeah let there be light yeah. why is that important why is that in there why doesn't it just say god created da, 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 da? i think it's it's telling us Again, it's saying, look, how he does it is, is not important, but it's intentional. Mm -hmm. He brings it into life at his command. Yep. And I think it's deliberately not telling us that he mixed this chemical with that chemical and yep. did that to do this and create it. That's not important. What matters is he says it and it happens. Yep. Yep. And I think it's really important to, 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 to hear that story, that it, the, the, word, the, the, the Bible is uh, telling us that creation is purposed. Mm -hmm and wanted, that you and I exist mm. because God wants us. It's not a futile, accidental, random collection of molecules that suddenly appeared here on earth. We have been purposed, God says, and it was so. Mm. What about the person that's sitting at home and has maybe thought about creation and thought about what it says in, in Genesis and has always believed that that was a factual story and they possibly still do believe that they may not believe that they may be wavering on that and are thinking well if that's not true what else isn't true in the bible how can i believe in the bible that i thought was factually correct and accurate and now you're telling me well it's it's maybe a story what would you say to that and i know you're not saying it's a story well but i'm i think firstly the 
the concept of, of Genesis being a scientific idea came in after science. So if you go back a thousand years, they would have understood it as a story. Yep. That it, we've reinvented it yep. as a scientific idea. Yep. I, think the so I think the vast majority of the Bible, it's easy to tell whether they intended it to be a metaphor, intended it to be poetic, or intended it to be an historical account. Mm -hmm. um, if we take the resurrection, we know when it happened, we know where it happened, we know what the consequences of it were, and it's very, very clear in the New Testament that they believed it to be real. Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything is futile and I'm a fool and to be pitied. So if we say our golden rule is what did they mean, mm -hmm. I would say in 99% of the Bible, it's very clear what they mean. And we know they meant that to be an account we know they meant that to be a story. Most of the time in the New Testament, Jesus, with the writers say Jesus told a story. Mm. So we know that, so mm -hmm. that's fine. There's just a handful of places, of which Genesis is the most famous, but there's one or two other places. We think, well, what did they mean? But actually, even whether you're saying it's a story or a narrative, what they mean is very clear. Mm -hmm. So that the meaning of the story is very, very important. So I go back to, why did they write Genesis? They didn't want to tell us how God made the world. Mm -hmm. They weren't really bothered by that. They wanted mm -hmm. to tell us who made it. Mm -hmm. They wanted to tell us what, whether it was good or evil when they made it. And they wanted us to tell us that we should keep the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And then in the second chapter, they wanted to tell us that mankind was made in God's image and that we're different and unique and that we have responsibility. And that's really important. And then in the third chapter, they tell us that mankind rejected God. Mm. And that's really important. Mm. Those truths are the same irrespective of whether you think it's an historical event or a, uh, a, 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 a parable. The resurrection is different because Paul says, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, then none of us are going to. Mm -hmm. So the, the, it's what the writers themselves are saying. The writers mm. themselves are saying this really matters. Mm. Whereas the way that the Bible handles the Genesis is most of the time to tell us to take the Sabbath as a day of rest. That's the most common way in which Genesis is referred to. So that makes me think that's the most important lesson to learn mm -hmm. from it, that we should take a day of rest. Mm -hmm. it, it also talks about God being the creator, so we need to hold that as well. So Paul wrote a lot of the Bible uh, and that's easy for us to work out what he's saying because it affected him and it was about life in his time. Who wrote the book of Genesis and how do we know that they knew what was going on because they weren't around in the beginning? Well, that's certainly true. Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Genesis. The tradition says it was Moses mm -hmm. and tradition says that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. That's just an unfounded tradition. It's not in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of problems with that. One is that it describes Moses' death, so it would have been difficult for him to, <laughs> to do that. Um, but a more technical issue is that um, we can tell that the writing is different in different places. So if I, 
if I see an email, that because you, you've sent me loads of emails over the last 20 years, I can tell whether you've written an email. If somebody was to send me an email pretending to be Kath, I would know that it wasn't Kath because there would be words that you don't use. There would be the way maps you sign off or you, can, you end the email that I would know isn't the way you do it. Depends what mood I'm in. Well, yeah, I, I can also tell that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it looks like Genesis is written by four or five different people. And that does, that's not a problem. That's mm -hmm. fine. It's just the story of the beginning of the Bible. Mm. And, and like the Gospels are written by four people, mm. it's absolutely fine and it's mm. great. And those things merge, are blended together by God's Spirit to create the Bible. So it's still the inspired Word of God. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. the reason, one of the reasons, the Bible is written by different people. Mm -hmm. And that, for me, authenticates it as mm -hmm. God's Word. Because if it was all just the work of one person, it's, you know, they would be on a power trip. It's written by many people over many centuries mm -hmm. with different styles, different language, different ways of speaking. Mm -hmm. But all of that has been powerfully pulled together by God. What I find is interesting with the Bible is that when Jesus was on this earth, he uh, gave credence, uh, his seal of approval, in a sense, to that, the scriptures that they had at that time. So that's very straightforward and simple for us to work out. You know, well, if Jesus thinks that's scripture, then obviously that's got to be good. The New Testament went through a different process, and mm. we've talked about that before when we've looked at the Bible. But for Jesus, he was in no doubt that Genesis was the inspired word absolutely. of God. So it's that a gives really us, cru yeah. crucial part of the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we are coming into land. Uh, Steve Evans has come in with a, uh, another question. He's put 2 Peter 3, verse 8. But do not forget one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Do you think it's possible that the six days of creation could therefore be 6,000 years? Uh, I think it's more likely that, that the thousand in Peter is just saying, you know, don't, God is outside of time. And it's not a, a mathematical equation, one day equals a thousand years. It's actually time is very different for God. Mm. So I think you can take that back into Genesis and say, it doesn't need to be 168 hours but I wouldn't say it therefore becomes 7,000 years. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, a day is like a thousand. It's not a day is a thousand. Mm. It's saying mm. God's timing is different to yeah, our time. Yeah, he's outside our time. Yeah, absolutely. To us, what seems frustrating, like a, a few hours. It's probably worth just saying that the idea that the earth is five or 6,000 years old is never said in the Bible. It's only because people add up all the ages of people that they, they think it, it comes to 5,000, which I think, for other reasons, is not a good plan. Well, scientists think it's 4.6 billion years yeah. old. So... There's a difference. There's a slight difference, absolutely. I think it's, it's dangerous to look at numbers in the Bible and add them up and try and make a secret code, because I don't think there is a secret no. numerical code, and you get yourself into lots of difficulty if you do try and do that. And, and numbers are very symbolic. Yes. 12 is a very symbolic number. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and 10 is symbolic. 6 is symbolic. 3 is symbolic. 3 is a magic number, isn't it? Who sang that? 3, oh. it's the magic number. Anyway, we won't. We it's won't. gone. It's gone. Um, so summing up, you think what about Christianity and science? I think that the science of science, mm -hmm. of, ex of 
looking at facts and discovering things that enable us to then invent things is brilliant. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it leads us to say, God, you're incredible. Yeah. The philosophy of evolution, which says this is accidental and random or planned or somehow couldn't happen without God, requires more faith than I've got. Mm -hmm. And I think Christianity is a better explanation for science. Mm. I think that Genesis 1 and 2, the first two books of the Bible, are really, really important theologically. Yeah. We mustn't lose sight of what they're teaching. Yeah. Uh, the question of whether it's 168 hours or whether it's just a long time, I don't think is really the most important question in the Bible. Mm. Absolutely. We go back to in the beginning was God and God created. That's what we need to hold on to. Yeah. That this is his world. Was it his command? And he is all powerful. When you think about it, when you just step back for a moment and look at the woodpecker or look at a tree or a flower or whatever it might be, you think, how on earth would I begin to bring that into being? Mm. You just think, God, you're awesome. Mm. And maybe that's a challenge for us uh, each day in the midst of lockdown, that there's loads of things that we can't do, but what can we do? Can we take in what's around us and begin to think, is this random? Did this just happen by fluke or actually, is this too beautiful? Mm. Is this too precise and designed and awesome mm. to have only come from one place? Mm. And that is the hand of God. Mm. And that's really the thing. That's what we've got to hold on to and not fall out over mm. the, the smaller things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But thank you for joining with us and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Bye.